passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I never knew what I could become, but tonight I got the answer. I'm a two-division champion, baby! According to multiple reports, ESPN has secured the television rights to the UFC and will begin broadcasting the mixed martial arts fights in January. I mean, that was like assault. He threw a dolly at a car. People yeah. got their eyes cut, their face cut. Glass shatter, right? Yeah. We Believe me, we've studied it. The numbers don't lie. We've talked to fighters. A ton of fighters want to go back to 4 o'clock. And there's a lot of fighters that don't. No matter what, it's, there's, there's no debate about this. There's no debate. We're going to 4 o'clock. Say it again. What, say it with a pico, 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 Graham. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls was hot. I understand. A Hall of Famer, two-time UFC welterweight champion of the world. Look at the spin again. Whoa! Oh, Eric kick from Santos. That was crazy slow. It's taking a grain of salt and chopping it into 48 million pieces. How does this feel? Incredible! Oh my god! I can handle these guys helping me! Helping me! Come on, let's go! Imagine a grain of salt. And chopping that into 48 million pieces. The morning weigh-ins were gone and that you guys were going back to just having the, the ceremonial weigh-ins be the official weigh-ins. Right. Since then, you haven't mentioned anything and it, and it stayed all throughout the year. What That's happened? That's a good question. I don't remember what the hell happened to that. You're right. I forgot about that. I, I, don't, I don't remember what happened. Does it mean that the morning weigh-ins I, I think that a lot stayed? of people were complaining about it. The fighters and stuff, and, and, and maybe we just said, okay, then we won't do it. I don't remember exactly, though. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock, and welcome to a first here at Post Wrestling. It is our 2018 MMA Year in Review show. Joining us live at Post Office West, first up, my former colleague at the Fight Network, Cody Saftik, is here in the house. Welcome, Cody. Yeah, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me, John. Been a little while, so uh, glad to kick off the new year. Had to Pleasant bring, note. Had to bring in the big guns here for a big year in review. And also joining us from MMAJunkie.com and USA Today, he is 
Mike Bond, fresh off an airplane, just that you rerouted your entire vacation just to be here on the panel. Thank actually, you, Mike. I actually did. I uh, wanted to make it back for this for sure. I mean, obviously, you can work from anywhere, kind of what I'm doing. So, but I wanted to make sure I'm back for the show. You, you landed in Toronto several hours ago after a brutal red eye <laughs> a, and what sounded like a hellacious trip home. A little bit, yeah. Well, guys, I'm so glad to have you here. It is going to be uh, a fun chat as we go through uh, 2018. And I guess before we get into all the different uh, categories uh, that I sent out to you, starting with you, Cody, I mean, try and kind of give your your overall thoughts of 2018, not just for the UFC, but for mixed martial arts as a whole, the the state uh, going into 2019, where you do have a lot of different outlets and a lot to take from this past year, as we'll discuss. Yeah, I think when you talk about MMA, uh, the hardcore fans will say all the different organizations that are involved. But for the most part, it's the UFC. And so a lot of people are going to gauge how is MMA as a whole by how the year the UFC has. And I think it's just it was a year of high expectations. Coming off this big blockbuster deal, uh, having having all these expectations for the UFC, they got to come out and they got to make mega fights. And it was almost the year of the mega fight. Everybody wanted to see not the matchup that made the most, most logical sense, just the matchup that made the most dollars, the, the biggest the biggest fight that's going to drum up people's imaginations and and in many regards for me it was kind of a year backwards for mma but it's just because the expectation is there i mean you we're so lucky with all the different combat events going on on a weekly basis if you're a boxing fan if you're a kickboxing fan if you're an mma fan there's just so much going on that it almost feels like it's a little bit watered down that you need those big fights and that's what they chased after i think it was a good year and when you look at uh just all the options available if you are a hardcore fan but there's just few and far between. So I don't know. It was a very uh, unexciting year, I think, as a whole, John. I mean, that's why they had to save this John Jones fight at the end of the year, because I feel that they needed that last cherry topper of an event because they felt the pressure as well. It seemed like that in 2018, the highs were very high and the lows were very low, uh, specific to the UFC. Yeah, definitely. And it was something of a transition year, too. I mean, we all knew the Fox deal was coming to an end. Uh, so maybe you didn't see like the push of the sport on that pl- platform as much as you would see, uh, you know, in the earlier years. We knew the ESPN deal was coming. We learned that partway through the year and everything. So, uh, yeah, just I'd call it somewhat of a transition year. But yeah, there was some big fights. There was some really big highs. Obviously, we got Conor McGregor back. Uh, you know, we crowned multiple double champions, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. The, the highs are really high, but. You know, there was some lows and a lot of forgettable stuff as well. So we're going to dive into these categories and get everyone's picks. And I'm sure that will uh, detour us into kind of encapsulating the entire year that was 2018. But we're going to start off with male fighter of the year. Quite a There's a number of candidates. I I thought that there was one pretty conclusive choice. Uh, Let's start off with you, Mike, your choice for male fighter of the year. Daniel Cormier, for sure. I think that's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty big layup with that. Um, obviously for him, championships in two divisions, defended titles in two different weight classes, started the year, beat Volkan Ozdemir, UFC 220, um, comes back, knocks out Stipe Miocic, and then obviously, you know, beats Derek Lewis. So a huge year for him. Uh, you know, the year we gave him the fighter of the year for MMA junkie as well. And the headline was, you know, the year DC began to stood for double champ. And I think that was a good way to put it. He obviously, um, I think really set himself apart. How did set- it take so long for that, to, for someone right? to come up with that alternate nickname? <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yeah, for him, it was just obviously the John Jones thing is always going to hang over him that those losses and everything, but he really set himself apart and gave himself a new legacy by winning that heavyweight belt. Um, 
that is something so separate from John Jones. John Jones will even recognize that though. Like you were in his mind, he was the never the light heavyweight champion, but he is the hundred percent legitimate heavyweight champion of the world. There's no controversy around any of that. So I think for Daniel Cormier's legacy, when you look back, that's just going to be so important for him and that, uh, you know, to move up from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Uh, he said it in his post-fight interview after he knocked out Stipe. I never knew what I could be in this weight class because, you know, Cain Velasquez was there and he moved down and we really learned how great Daniel Cormier truly is. And I think that just stood out so much above everything. Uh, the end of the year was kind of weird with, you know, relinquishing the title right before the Jones fight and all that kind of stuff. But regardless, Daniel Cormier is the guy. Is this where you come out with a left field choice, Cody, for male fighter of the year? <laughs> no, Mike, Mike crushed it. That's exactly it. Daniel Cormier is the fighter of the year. I think it's few and far between. If Daniel Cormier wasn't in the discussion whatsoever, and like you said, there's a couple candidates. Who are the other candidates? I have Kamaru Usman, Alex Volkanovsky, maybe Thiago Santos because he's got four wins. Uh, it's, big a, it's a stretch. But they're I, not in the same league as Daniel no, Cormier. No, I think Daniel Cormier is hands down. Of course, hands he's, down. he's my choice as well. I, I throw out options like Michael Chandler quietly had, you know, three wins, won his title back. Dustin Port Poirier had a good year, Kamaro Usman, but nothing, nothing approaching Daniel Cormier. Yeah, it's yeah, just it's got, you got to throw that championship aspect in. Two there titles, too, right? like you said, two weight classes, and like Mon said, uh, like Mike said, I think uh, a lot of the discussion with Daniel Cormier is we didn't know how great he could be at heavyweight because he decided to move down to two hundred five and chase those accolades because of Cain Velasquez. But people that have been following this guy for a long time, we all knew how good he was at heavyweight. But, you know, age takes its toll on you, and he was always a small guy to begin with. Him just going and reclaiming that title just showed what could have been all those years. If he had never gone down to 205, he could be one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time, if not one of the greatest light heavyweight champions of all time. And then, you know, the whole John Jones seg in the mix, that remains to be seen. So uh, I just feel like it's not even really a discussion. It's Daniel Cormier, hands down. I think it just, it's a year that, you know, he did so much for his legacy that... You know, a year ago, people were talking about, you know, where does this guy fit as one of the greatest of all time? And I thought that's that's a really tough argument to make. After this past year, I think if you're one of those people that the he laid the foundation that you can try and make an argument for that at this point, doing what he did at heavyweight to Stipe Miocic. And I think exactly no controversy at all in terms of becoming the best heavyweight in the world and a guy that as we will probably get into this show, like there were a lot of moments this year that made you embarrassed to follow mixed martial arts of guys that were on pedestals and just embarrassed the sport, embarrassed themselves. Here's a guy that is just the, the epitome of what you would want to look at. That could be a representative of the sport, someone that just, there is no controversy attached to this guy. And it's, it's sometimes that's a trait that we don't see in a lot of these high paid athletes who have a lot of pressures on themselves and, find themselves in in positions where they embarrass their sport, they embarrass themselves. Daniel Cormier has never been that guy. Yep, 100%. Daniel Cormier, a unanimous decision for Male Fighter of the Year. Let us go over to Female Fighter of the Year, and we'll send it over to Cody. I'm thinking it's going to be unanimous once again, but Amanda Nunez kind of made a big statement at the, right at the end of the year to uh, cap off what I think uh, has to be given the uh, female fighter of the year, John. I mean, Amanda Nunez is another person, captures uh, world titles in two different weight classes, establishes herself as not only one of the greatest fighters to ever do it in either one of those weight classes, but in general, she should be on the pound-for-pound pound list. 
I think there's a lot of doubters out there, a lot of people that thought, geez, maybe she's a front runner, maybe she gets tired as fights go on. But I just think even just over the last number of, of performances from her, you just see an evolving fighter here. You see somebody who's getting more comfortable both in and out of the cage with herself, and the results are showing. I think Amanda Nunes had a, a stellar year, a standout year. And again, when you look at the other uh, the other fighters that I would kind of throw in that category, maybe a Valentina Shevchenko, maybe a Tatiana Suarez, I think beating Pennington, maybe if you're not going to give it credit, well, it's, it's Kel Pennington, there was a layoff. The beating Cyborg in and itself, the accomplishment, uh, you could count that maybe as an upset of the year as well. I think uh, there's very little argument that uh, the Lioness Amanda Nunez is, is very much the winner I, of this category. I, I had this category open going into 232. I, I thought Absolutely, going into the event, prior, coming out, no question. Prior to December 29th, I, I'm curious where people's picks are. If yeah. Amanda Nunez doesn't score this win at the end of the year, it was not a year where there was uh, a really dominant female um but amanda nunez just clinched it for for myself i'm assuming for you as well mike yeah that's just it's an easy choice i mean knocking out cyborg even if she hadn't done anything else the entire year to go in and win that fight the way that she did is just you know unprecedented stuff for women's mma it was just unreal performance and yeah double champion uh you can make an argument you know the most legitimate double champion that we've had so far in the UFC. You know, she's there's no doubt about her status at 135. She goes in there, does that to Cyborg at 145. So uh, hopefully we don't have to wait two years for the rematch, but we'll, we'll see. Does this uh, help the health of the women's featherweight division? What do you see being the long term in in her being a, a double champion that can defend both titles, or is one weight class going to take priority? It's tough because I think it just all depends on Cyborg too. Because mm-hmm. she, you know, her contract success with the UFC is coming up. Um, is she going to stay? She's expressed interest in wanting to go box, but how did this loss ultimately change things for her? There's a lot of money in that rematch. I think you know. I, I thought it was a little strange how uh, you know non-committal to it Amanda was, Dana White was. It seemed like they were like, oh, you know. She got knocked out in the first minute. It's, uh, you know, pretty conclusive result. Okay. Well, what about Yoani and Jacek who got knocked out in the first round and then you gave her an immediate reaction? You know, it's just this double standard we see in the UFC so much. But yeah, I think it's really going to depend on Cyborg. I think if she is no longer around, we're probably not going to see featherweight being much of a weight class in the UFC for the women. Yeah. I mean, we have one promotion that is going to apparently usher in the 155 pound women's division. So I don't know where all these people are necessarily coming from, uh, to populate, but I think that, yeah, Amanda Nunez under 2019 is going to be certainly something to watch of how this affects both weight classes. Yeah. Well, if you're, if your question is what is best outcome for them, I think Amanda Nunez winning is best outcome. Cause like Mike said, I mean, Cyborg kind of has one foot out the door of the UFC considering that she's sparring with Clarissa Shields and has expressed interest in, in having a professional boxing career. She always talks about how, you know, she'd like to go to Bellator and compete against Julia Budd and some of the women in that organization, the rematch against Julia Budd. She's expressed interest in maybe going back and doing some kickboxing. UFC to her, they were never really able to market her properly or really get her the, her desired opponents. So, I feel like she was going to go elsewhere. You can't make a whole lot of fights with Cyborg. You can make the Amanda Nunez rematch, which is, I think, the logical choice if you're going to do anything. And maybe, maybe if Kayla Harrison gets some experience under her belt and you want to move up and do this uh, fight with PFL, maybe. But the choices are few and far between. Whereas Amanda Nunez, now you've got options because she can fight the girls at 145. She can fight Holly Holm. She can fight Megan Anderson if Anderson can get some wins together. She can still, you know, defend the title at 135 and 145. And then I think it starts to get appealing the idea of Shevchenko going on a little run at 125 and then maybe coming back up to 135 down the road and fighting Nunez, where Shevchenko can't fight Cyborg. Nobody can fight Cyborg. 
except for Nunez and other big girls like potentially Harrison that might be able to come down the road. But the options are few and far between. So if Cyborg goes out there and knocks out Amanda Nunez, you tarnish your champion at 135, and it's not a good look, and there's still really nobody to fight Cyborg. Cyborg losing here. If Cyborg leaves, not the end of the world for the UFC. More storylines, more options, more matchups. Life goes on. That was the best outcome for them as an organization. Yeah, I think that the positive is that you. it's not as though you're icing all these contenders at either weight class because they don't exist it opens it's, it up a bit it's something honest. that you you at least have some flexibility that i would like to see them at least attempt this where someone can fight at two weight classes potentially we move on to fight of the year uh, maybe this one isn't as uh, uh obvious as the the first two uh curious to get your choice mr bond uh dustin poirier versus justin gaethje of course justin gaethje wouldn't be a fight of the year without a Justin Gaethje fight um, at UFC on Fox 29. I just thought that was kind of like the perfect Dustin Poirier performance and kind of the mix of what we've seen for him. You know, over the years, Dustin Poirier has kind of lost some big fights by being in his own head a little bit. You know, he's allowed himself to uh, get, you know, Conor McGregor, get a little too headstrong in there and that's cost him. But I think this performance by him was the absolute perfect mix of like what you need to do. You need to go in there with a, a little bit of that fire, but he held it back just enough to stay slightly technical enough to, you know, he got in that brawl, but he didn't overdo it. And then he was able to obviously get Justin Gaethje out of there. And we know what Justin Gaethje does on the other side of that cage. Uh, you know, huge, huge performance by both those guys. But yeah, I think that was Dustin Poirier's really, uh, you know, breakthrough moment a little bit there and obviously set him up to be a really top contender at lightweight. This is a great year for, yeah. for Dustin Poirier. Um, awesome year. You know, he, he's a guy that it's unfortunate that Nate Diaz fight can happen, but. Still, big year for him. Yes, he's had some unfortunate losses along the way, but he's just mounted together a fantastic campaign at 155 pounds. Uh, are you going a different direction, Cody? I would have to agree. I think Gaethje versus Justin Poirier is the fight of the year. My other option would have been maybe Korean Zombie versus Yeah Rodriguez if I want to be different. And, and I'll just say the under, you know, the dark horse fight of the year, just to bring it up really quick, that Joaquin Silva, Nito BJJ versus Jared Gordon damn like as far as three round fights goes because my other options are all five rounders Holloway Ortega great fight Sami versus Yeah Rodriguez and of course Gaethje versus Justin Poirier at least scheduled but um that was as much excitement as you can pack into a, a three round affair but yeah no I, I gotta agree here I think with Justin Gaethje you know what you're getting with Justin Gaethje you're gonna get somebody who's gonna be in a fight of the year contender almost every time out he puts the pressure on you you either wilt or you handle the pressure and you give it right back to him and when you do that it leads to violence and and ultimately that's what people want to see people we we love grappling, we love wrestling, we love BJJ, we love all those, uh, you know, variables in the fight game. But everybody deep down loves a great old slugfest. And that's what Justin Gaethje brings to them. This guy's a high pedigree wrestler, a guy that wrestled collegiately, a guy that could shoot the takedowns. But, you know, his leg kick game, his ability to just put damage on people. And I think you guys both you know, nailed it that... Poirier has always been a top guy that could never get over the hump. At 145, and then he comes into 155, he fills in the frame, but he never always gets over that that big that big hump. This was a huge year for him. We're going to talk about breakout fight of the year, and I think his name should at least be in the mix because he had a big year as far as coming out and establishing himself. But this went over Justin Gaethje. People were questioning, can Poirier take the damage? Can Poirier, what's his chin like? And I think he answered all of that in what was one of the best fights of the year. So that, that'd be my pick as well. This is our first bit of dissension. I'm going with Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero from UFC 225, a, a five-round war. Yoel Romero 
never fails to be in a fight that just is going one way and then it takes a 180 and a drastic turn. Uh, Robert Whitaker, this really to me just cemented his placement on top of the 185 pound weight class. I thought this was just a, a great, great middleweight fight. Uh, from Chicago. That was back in June. Poirier and Justin Gaethje w- was listed here as well for me. Does distance or uh, length of a fight play a big factor for you when it comes to fight fight of the year? Could yeah, you could absolutely. you have you know outside of something uh, of an anomaly like Nick Diaz, Paul Daly? Can a can a shorter fight win fight of the year typically for you? I think it could. It just depends. I think for me, it has a lot to do with stakes. That's kind of my thing. Like you know, I, I will probably get into it with round of years soon. But like a Tiago Santos versus a Jimmy Manoa, like that's obviously was insane. But it was a six minute fight and yes it's two guys ranked at that weight class but like what does it really mean at the end of the day it's just kind of like two brawlers like my, mike's you, just killed the thunder of my pick for round of the year so, <laughs> it, it was mine it, no it was mine too and i think that's fine i think there's a difference though between round of the year and fight of the year though mm-hmm. like yep. you, you know fight of the year i think it's it's something that lasts with you it means a lot um you know it's more high level i guess because anyone can go in there and just like you know brawl and make it really exciting and keep you on the edge of your seat but like you'll remember that be like oh it was a fun fight but when you, there's a stake to it there's championship sure. there's five rounds it just adds more layers to it and i think you have to take drama's a big account. part of it 100 stakes are gonna 100 exactly. have a championship and sure. like we saw the first fight between whitaker and romero you know how that went it was so competitive came down to the wire and it was like you know another five rounds of like can anyone sit here and definitively say who the better fighter is between those two? Like, we could see them fight again and still might not know. So I, I think the other part of talking about what makes a great fight is that uh, that anticipation between rounds. And you got to get rounds in in order to really build that excitement. Yeah. When I think a lot of people were talking about uh, Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis, that's excitement that a in, in a little bit of uh, a little bit of time, right? It's a, it's a great round. But is it one of the best fights of the year? For the limited time. With Whitaker Romero, as soon as the round would end, you, there was an exasperation in the air. There was just a moment where you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? That builds in. It. It's like anything. You're trying to tell a story. Uh, fighting isn't pro wrestling. You can't go out there with a storyline and then have things go exactly the way you want to. But you're still trying to pick a picture a story. As a wrestling fan, John, what would you rather see? A three-minute squash match with a bunch of sweet spots or something that was really drawn out and an exciting affair over the course of 25 minutes? And so that's why I think it's not necessarily that longer fights are going to win fight of the year. But for me, my preference, that's what I go towards. So that takes us to round of the year. Uh, many different ways everyone can go. Um, I mentioned mine. It's, it's Tiago Santos and Jimmy Manoa from just a couple of weeks ago. Just an absolute insane first round that these two had. Uh, I thought it was very unfortunate that at the, the end of the night, we didn't have two performance bonuses for these two. That kind of shows you what kind of card it was uh, here in Toronto. Uh, Mike, your choice. Round of the year. Yeah, that was the same one. I was cage side for that one, so I was just feet away from what was going on in there, and it was absolutely insane. Uh, Diego Santos, man, that guy is just an absolute terror. He fights so much. It's always exciting. You know, he had a really good fight with Kevin Holland earlier in the year, too. Like, he's, uh, He's very exciting, and every time he goes in there, that was kind of just the definition of it. And it's funny, too, because uh, I don't know if you saw the interview he did after the fight. He's like, I was coming into this one, you know, wanted to fight a more strategic fight, like uh, wanted to be a little more technical. And apparently right before he walked out, he's like, I'm just going to brawl tonight. <laughs> and he just went out there, and we got what we got. So that's, you know, Thiago Santos. That's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, that that was a really great fight. He's always exciting. And T- yeah, that was five minutes of ridiculous action. Typically, fight of the year and round of the year don't go hand-in-hand hand with um, uh, game plan of the year. Yes. <laughs> it usually goes right out the window. Very true. Cody, yeah. uh, I know Floyd and Tenshin Nasakawa, they, they got <laughs> in right at the last minute. Was, was that your choice? No, I went with Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis. I think that was absolute chaos. It was shades of Tony Ferguson and Lando Venata, where it's like, 
yeah, Tony Ferguson's got all the goods in the world, but he just fights so chaotic. That's who he is. He brings excitement to every single matchup. This guy should be a way bigger star than he actually is, but he brings it every time, and in doing so, you're going to get caught. And I think with Anthony Pettis, he has such a high pedigree. He has such good back class that people often forget how good and exciting this guy can be. You see shades of that every time and time again. And uh, this was like a perfect culmination of that. So this is my round of the year. I think it was round two of the fight. And uh, yeah, good times. Yeah, I, I think Anthony Pettis, it's, you know, he's all he's always someone that he kind of gets right to that edge where you you, you start to see him. You, you think that he's kind of... It, doesn't exist anymore as a championship contender, but then he'll have those performances that you you get glimpses of the Anthony Pettis of old, and I, I think he's another one that yeah. 2019 he can go many directions as he's toying with welterweight or what his future is at lightweight. Yeah, it's crazy with Anthony Pettis. I mean, obviously you talk about the fact that he's a former champion that he can always he's got that pedigree that he can get back to being a world class competitor, one of the best in the world. But I don't know. There's always just question marks. About it. I don't I don't want to I don't want to like say anything against the guy, but it was just tough to see him go in that fight with Tony Ferguson and then. Uh, bail out of the fight with the hand injury because I know that it's a tough sport obviously and people are going to deal with this stuff but I, I think it says a lot about your character when a, guys like Uriah Faber in the past with two broken hands will go out there and compete whereas maybe Anthony Pettis is a guy that he's got that flash he's got that showtime ability he's got that ability to go out there and have a highlight reel KO review but when it gets tough on him uh, things like this tend to happen. I think a lot of a lot of people were saying afterwards, rebook that fight as a five round main event. Who would not want to see the Tony Ferguson Anthony Pettis rematch uh, as a Tony in, Ferguson probably in, in, in a five rounder? But my thought process is it wouldn't go five rounds. What's the point of booking it as a five rounder? Like it wouldn't make a difference either way. But Anthony Pettis is an interesting case because again, we all know how good he could be. But 2019 uh, would have to be another big year for him in order to get back in people's imaginations. Well, we'll see if he goes to welterweight, right, and has this fight with Stephen Thompson. Seems like Which uh, is that, 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 that definitely it. has legs to it, and it's yeah, yeah. it's a smart choice by, yeah. by him, right? You go up there, you he's Stephen Thompson, still what number two, three in that weight class. You go up there, you beat him, it's a great fight. You're right there. You're a guy at welterweight within one fight. So. I want to see him fight at welterweight just so we can all marvel that this dude was fighting at 145 pounds. An awful decision. Whoa, whoa, whoa! This dude was fighting at catchweight well, near 145 one time pounds. He made, yeah, one time yeah. he made it right against yeah, he uh, Bronx. Terrible. So yeah, it's crazy how the human body works. Uh, best knockout of the year, we circle back to Mike Bond. I mean, there was some ridiculous knockouts this year. There's some really, really good ones. Even just leading up to it, you know, uh, Cormier over Miacic was great. Remember uh, Karolina Kvalkovic getting knocked out by Jessica Andrade? Wow. That was, you know, a huge one. Just so many really great knockouts. Uh, Eric Anders, you know, punting Tim Williams' face off during the stand-up. Some really good knockouts, but yeah, Rodriguez, man. it's It's got to be. I'd be shocked if that wasn't unanimous on this one. Just... Everything that goes into that, we talked about the fight of the year elements, you know, the building drama of the layers, you know, being down on the scorecards, one second left, like how you could go on and on and on with the elements that went into this knockout, uh, you know, the strike alone that he threw just absolutely ridiculous, uh, knocking out Korean zombie, yeah, Rodriguez, that's, that's the one. Cody, are we all in agreement? Yeah, it should be unanimous. It's exactly it. I mean, that storytelling at its finest, he literally has one second left to do something to turn this fight around. And he does exactly that spectacular. We've never seen this before. Uh, it was a huge moment both in the fight and for Yair Rodriguez, who really did need this. So I think we got to be unanimous. I do want to give a shout-out to well, Daniel Cormier. If we want to talk about the magnitude of a knockout, that's not the prettiest knockout just because, you know, knockouts happen and that's what it is. It's it's, it's reminiscent of old man Dan Henderson in the Clint versus Shogun the second time around. You just you land that strike coming out. But um, but the magnitude of it is big. But I want to give a shout-out to my boy, Aaron Pico, over St. Crutchin, Bellator 192. That body shot, that liver shot, I sat I there that listed, yeah. and— 
felt it, which is weird. As a viewer, you sit there and you feel I'd be it. concerned if that happens. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I don't What's wanna... wrong with my liver? Yeah, I'm just yeah, watching yeah. TV here yeah. with a beer. I know. I know. You know what? Part of me says, I mean, I shit my pants that night. But I know Shane Crushton did as well, so I don't feel too bad. But that was as nasty as nasty comes. A nice little celebratory dance afterwards. Aaron Pico's the real deal. You and I have been on this kid for a long time. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, Rodriguez happened to throw a, ba- a spinning back elbow. Yeah. A no-look elbow out of nowhere, so that steals it. But shout-out to Aaron Pico. Yeah, Leota Machida against Vitor Belfort yeah. was also a great Fun. one, too. That was a phenomenal one. I mean, Amanda Nunez, right, at the end of the yep. year over Chris Cyborg. Yep. I mean, that was a notable one. Kind of a under-the-radar one, but Ryan Bader just putting King Mo out in 15 seconds yep. back at Bellator 199. But uh, for me, like, there's only one choice. This is one of the great knockouts of all time with Yair Rodriguez and Chan Sung Jung. It wasn't my fight of the year, but that was probably my most favorite fight of the year. I, I thought everything, everyone will focus on the knockout at the end, but that was a fantastic fight for f- 24 minutes and 59 seconds before the knockout as well uh, between those two. Just so dramatic with Chan Sung Jung ahead and then, you just see what happens and what has just happened in front of your eyes that this guy has won this fight with a second to go in the fight. Just uh, you could not script something more impactful than that. Best submission of 2018, Cody. Sadly, and this one is very sad for me, but I went with Ryan Hall over BJ Penn. Didn't see it coming. Never thought in a million. Not that, you know, you never think in a million years. Ryan Hall is a world-class BJJ practitioner, but... Like, he's a 50-50 player. He's not going to go out there and submit BJ Penn. The Mendez brothers are on record saying how this guy could still go out and win a world championship. Please tell me no. He gets a decent enough start and just... The in, the Imanari role for the heel hook is just such a pretty setup. It doesn't work uh, at the MMA level because nobody's really, I don't think, high enough to do it. But you're going to see these guys like Gary Tonon and obviously Ryan Hall able to do it. When he was doing it on The Ultimate Fighter, John, it was cool to see. It was flashy. But it was like, yeah, you're doing it over... Low Frank Silua, you're not going to do it in the UFC. To do it to BJ Penn, that was huge. How Plus, dare I, you, I, I'm a smirch his name. I'm a, I'm a total sucker for uh, for leg locks, and my my runner up was uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov over Brandon Davis. Slight edge over Aljamain Sterling's version of it on the same night. <laughs> so crazy, so crazy. Yeah, I I'm just uh, choosing this one because I don't want to. Uh, like I was very much leaning towards. Um, Ryan Hall and BJ Penn, but I'm going to go with Paul Craig and Magomed Ankaleev from the March 17th show at the O2 Arena. Uh, not all that different from our knockout of the year. Like, here's a guy who's down on the scorecards and pulls out a triangle with one second left in the fight. So I'm a sucker for the dramatics. I, I had that as comeback of the year, which was not a category here, in that, yeah, he was getting throttled for 14 minutes and 58 seconds before he throws that triangle up. But it was it wasn't the prettiest triangle in the world. It just it happened to be that you caught a submission with one second left, whereas... What happened to go into Ryan Hall's submission or, or Zabit Magomed Sharapov? I just feel like that's such a high level. Not, I, I watch a lot of Russian MMA. Sloppy triangles catching these guys while they're tired is just 101. So I don't know, but I, I hear you. It was, uh, from, it was, it was from an experienced white belt. I'm all about sloppy submissions. Well, just, just you, give me the feels and you, I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah. You get beat up for 14 minutes by a guy who's like a seven to one favorite on you and to submit him on the last fight of your UFC contract. That's big implications. Mike, your pick for submission of the year. This is a tough one. I think this is my most challenging one. Um, I did go with Aljamain Sterling over Cody Stamen. I thought, you know, like you said, it was a very, I think Zabit's version was the more athletically pleasing one. It looked nicer just Mm -hmm. because the camera angle and everything, but 
who do you do it to? No disrespect to Brandon Davis, but Aljamain's did the damage too, mm-hmm. and his did serious damage. You know, uh, Cody Stamen had all the momentum in the world coming into that fight. I think it won like thirteen in a row. It was three and zero in the UFC. It was seen as maybe you know a guy at bantamweight, and Sterling you know just surprised him with that one. It was harder to see because the the angle in which it happened, but it was very very nicely done. Um, yeah, I think that's got to be the one. There were some other really good ones, though, like Adam Wazerich getting uh, Arjun Bueller with an yeah. omoplata. We had Alexei Olenek getting another Ezekiel choke. Yep. Um, Claudio Puelas over Felipe Silva with the knee bar. He right? gets yeah. thrashed. Same thing, like late into the third round. Dylan Danis pulled a, off a toehold this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he voted for himself for submission of the year on that one. <laughs> yeah, the, the BJ Penn-Ryan Hall one was tough for me just because you know, we're dealing watch. with BJ Penn, who obviously 40 years old at this point. Uh, that loss tied him for the record for longest losing streak in UFC history at six. And just like what is really beating him at this point, you know, seeing BJ Penn tap out like that in that quickness was definitely shocking. I think the fact that BJ Penn elevates that one. hundred percent, hundred percent. But it's just like, what does it really mean at this stage of his career? It's cool. It's a nice feather in Ryan Hall's cap. But like, I think some of these fights, when you're talking again, stakes, significance, I, I definitely gave, Habib's submission over Conor McGregor, a little consideration there too. You know, the biggest fight in UFC history, quote unquote. You know, to end it like that, it's it's still really significant championship fight. So again, it's all depends on criteria and how what you make of this because there's so many different layers to it. But yeah, Aljamain Sterling was my choice. Uh, so we've had a number of events come up throughout this discussion. That takes us to event of the year. Let's start with Mike. UFC 229. It's got got to be. Obviously, uh, you know, like I just said, the biggest fight in UFC history, the way it ended maybe wasn't the most awesome, everything that happened post-fight, but uh, yeah, an amazing card, lots of significance on there, um, arguably had the comeback of the year too with Derek Lewis, um, that epic, arguably the fight of the year between Pettis and Ferguson, uh, arguably the submission of the year with you know, Habib and Connor. So uh, all so many elements to a great undercard. That pay-per-view was absolutely awesome. Uh, I had the... Very good fortune of being there. The crowd was amazing. Um, packed house. It just had all the elements you need. Very, very memorable show. And obviously, uh, the biggest gate of the year, too. I, I believe something like 17 million. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, business wise, just, um, another level for the UFC to be able to reach to. And, you know, sometimes you would get like these big promoted events and then they'd be a bit of a letdown, but, Something, especially with these fight, these cards with, with Conor McGregor, I look at 196 or 205, like cards that have enormous hype and you deliver one of the best cards of the year. And that was UFC 229. Also my choice for event of the year. Um, some other notable ones here. I thought UFC 228 in Dallas. We had a great performance by Tyron Woodley, the Jessica Andrade knockout that uh, was brought up, the double submissions from Sterling and Magomed Sharapov. And also, you know, kind of a, uh, under the radar one, but I remember watching this with you, Mike, was UFC 221 from Australia. That was my pick. Oh, okay. Well, well, why don't you explain why you picked 221? <laughs> well, UFC 221, first of all, you got Romero versus Rockhold, a KO of the year contender, a fight of the year contender. Uh, what more could you want from a headlining affair of a card? You got Tai Tuivasa versus Surreal Asker, KO of the year contender. Tai Tuivasa shreds him with that elbow. Crazy. Again, who's he fighting? But K with the year contender. Uh, Pedro versus Safarov. The submission of the year contender. Pe- Tyson Pedro. Huge Kimura. Big win. Uh, Israel Adesanya's UFC debut. Alex Volkanovsky crushed Jeremy Kennedy, mm-hmm. who is as legitimate as they come. Jake Matthews versus Jing Liang Lee and Dung Young Kim Maestro versus Damian Brown. Both fight of the night contenders. 
The car was just loaded top to yeah. bottom. I, it's I thought, not one that I stood out to me at the time, but as right, I was putting right, this list right. together, I was like, that was a really under-the-radar card. That 229's you know, got the magnitude and the implication, but as far as just a fun card, a fun night of fights, this was it. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally respect that pick. Australia consistently delivers when it comes to exciting cards. Like, I think the last one, whatever, whichever last year, Adelaide wasn't... The first Bisping Rockhold just, card, that, that was I, one of those... It was, like, the fastest fight pass card they've ever yeah, had. I think yeah, it just, was... Yeah. I think pretty much was all the, finishes, uh, as yeah, I recall. Yeah, it was all... I think at one point, they had a stretch, like, between back-to-back cards where they had, like, 19 straight finishes on Australia cards. It was insane. I think this was maybe in, like, 2014 or something. But, yeah, uh, that, I remember that Bisping Rockhold card. I think still the only card in UFC history where every fight ended in a finish. Yeah. Yeah, so um, some great picks there for uh, event of the year. Uh, here's a different category, broadcaster of the year. Uh, you can go wherever you'd like for, for this particular one. Uh, I do not count. Uh, neither <laughs> present company here excluded. Uh, broadcaster of the year, Cody. Yeah, I didn't really know what direction to go. This. I think it's super subjective. I want to so Jimmy Smith just because he signed with the UFC. He made that long-awaited debut. Yikes. He had the one year in, but ultimately, like the UFC is yeah, not yeah. renewing the broadcast of the year. They don't. They don't agree clearly. So uh, what can you say there? And and I like the fact that Daniel Cormier has been able to remain so professional both inside and outside of the octagon. Just going out and being able to you know accomplish the things that he has as a mixed martial artist. People don't often realize like what goes into being a broadcaster as well. And the fact that this guy's able to be one of the best in both of these things, like he's not even just a two-weight world champion. He's a two-weight world champion that also could have a full-time career on the side doing something completely different. And he crushes it as well. Uh, people, this is a sport that people, uh, I've always wanted to put a negative light on, whether it be PDUs, whether it be, you know, uh, ring damage. Daniel Cormier is a man who is in his 40s. Daniel Cormier is a man who's been through the ringer. He wrestled, he wrestled collegiately. He wrestled the Olympics. He's been, uh, a standout role model his entire career. He has been in absolute wars. And the guy is so soft spoken. He's an ambassador for the sport. He is a prime example of how if you treat your body right and you play this, this sport properly, that you can make it to your 40s and still be in the prime, you know, shape of your life and still accomplish these great things and make money and still have, you know, your wits about you. A great family man, a great ambassador. I think as far as a broadcaster, yeah, why not Daniel Cormier? But again, I thought this was category was very tough to, to, to judge who you thought was the best. I always... It comes down to your personal preference. I've always said, no matter what, that Brian Stan was my favorite. It did not matter. But he doesn't do it anymore, so yeah. now it's like it's second pickings to me. Like every There's so many guys doing it, and they're all good. Paul Felder is very good. John Anik, honestly, personally, one of my favorite. But... There's so many people doing it that uh, who, who do you? So say? Jimmy Smith is the pick, or is it Daniel Cormier? Uh, I'll go Daniel Cormier because he's able to do those things as a <laughs> he's fighter. Really dancing but, on the fence there <laughs> because it's a tough category, John. Once you said I couldn't name you, it was right at the window. Well, there, me, me and uh, well, my deal wasn't renewed either. So uh, we go to Mike Vaughn, John Anik. Uh, he, it's just remarkable. This guy, I think to date, he has worked with. 15 different commentary teams wow, during many? his UFC career. It might be 14. Um, don't exactly. It's one of those two, but just ridiculous. He goes in there and he meshes pretty much seamlessly with any guy. Uh, you can't really, I can't explicitly say like, Oh, you know, John Anik had a really terrible night tonight or like something like that. Uh, I do think it's a little unfortunate that with the three man booth on like pay-per-views, especially when you have, you know, big dominant personalities like a dominant Cruz or Daniel Cormier, that he does get pushed to the back burner a little bit with Joe Rogan in there, but he still does it perfectly. He does his job in my opinion, pretty much flawlessly. He's emerged as the voice of the UFC at this point. You know, he, I still think it's unfortunate that 
never gave him that like proper respect to being like, this is our guy publicly. But at this point, obviously he is, he's taken that torch from Mike Goldberg and done an amazing job with it. And yeah, this year he worked with so many different versions of the commentary booth and they were all very, very well done. So he, he's got to be my guy, but yeah, the UFC's crop of commenters. I do think it's unfortunate what happened with Jimmy Smith, but they have a really good staple of people right now. Uh, I think Paul Felder really emerged. I think maybe next year, if we do this category uh, again, it could be Michael Bisbing. Uh, you know, he's coming in. He's a guy. Um, it seems like he's finally committed. Like they wanted him for a while. He did great on the contender series, but I think he just didn't want to do like the prep work. I think that was a really big sticking point with him. And I guess something has changed because apparently now, you know, he's going to be coming in doing some of that stuff next year. So maybe he committed. So I think next year, Michael Bisming is going to be at the forefront of this conversation. But this year, just with everything John Anik did, he's the guy. I chose John Anik as well. I just think he's, he's such a pro. Um, you know, I didn't know what the number was, but part of my criteria was, um, I really have an appreciation when guys can work with so many different people and make it seamless because it's very hard to be able to do that. He also does it typically in a three-man booth, which is very, very challenging. And I think he knows when to lay out and when to just pivot over. He's just always on point. I always look forward to cards that he's calling. And I think as much praise as we heap upon a lot of these fighter analysts, there's a common denominator here that he's the quarterback there. And I think that that's kind of goes unnoticed at times. Yeah, Brandon Fitzgerald's goods too. Yes, uh, coming up, he had a really, a really yep. nice year. I he's like him a he's lot. basically the default number two now. He probably does more shows than Anik, or just as many, just with the fight nights. They're obviously the the lower uh, end of in terms of quality and significance. But yeah, he's doing a really good job as the number two guy there as well. Where do you guys see Jimmy Smith landing? Because someone's going to sign him. You know what? If I'm Bellator, I take him back with open arms. Because I'll tell you who's not broadcast of the year is Big John McCarthy. <laughs> it's it's tough to listen to John. It really is. And so if I'm them, I bring him back. Otherwise, I don't want to see him end up with. Uh, he could like, be in the PFL. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, but, 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 but that's they too have much. a pretty deep roster of commentaries there too. Geez, the they, 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 yeah, you're talking about three man boost. They go four, five deep sometimes. Sean <laughs> O'Connell is going to be their guy coming up as well. Yeah, that's so. also. I, I'd place Jimmy Smith above. Oh, I, I definitely think I'd reach out, but you know, no doubt. But this is the tough part, I think, is that if you're Jimmy Smith, right? Everything else is a, kind of like a temporary deal. If you're going to take something with Ryzen or something overseas, a lot of these rough, Russian promotions, whether it's Fight Night Global, the money's there, but it's also not there. There's a lot of I don't want to say shady business, but a lot of uncertainty. So you want to get on with somebody that's going to be having multiple events a year. That's going to give you a home that you can you know grow with. With PFL, again, I think there's uncertainty. This is former World Series of Fighting, an organization that was all uncertainties and question marks and, and now giving out all those big paydays like the guys in the finals Sean O'Connell versus Vinny Magalesh these are two guys that are on two fight losing streaks coming into the finals and they're fighting for a million dollars where's the money coming from obviously they have these investors but if I'm Jimmy Smith I don't want to take a one-year deal with PFL or a three-year deal with PFL that I don't know if it's going to make it I don't want to go to Ryzen where I can do you know four shows a year I, I would hopefully get back on with Bellator and if I'm Bellator and I've got Chael Sonnen who I think is a, a great broadcaster I keep Chael around uh I'm not big on Frank Mir, but I think they're going to try to keep Frank Mir. But you, you, those are just fighter broadcasters. You need a guy like Jimmy Smith that's going to come in and add that expertise and add that professionalism. And like you said, he's a cut above guys like Sean O'Connell for a reason. So bring him in if you're Bellator and uh, make this a great product, which I believe it is. All right. Uh, best social media account. Uh, again, you cannot name yourself, Mike. No. But, but you are an essential resource. <laughs> uh, you want me to go first with this yes. one? Okay. Um, I didn't go with a fighter, but I went with someone who represents a lot of fighters. My choice is Ali Abdelaziz, because 
I was looking back through, man, this guy, say what you will about him. Uh, I know this will probably be a controversial one. I'll probably get a lot of shit for this one, but I think it's, uh, everything he done, he pretty much makes storylines, makes fights, um, arguably does it through other fighters accounts as well. Probably unarguably he's, I think we know, you know, his tricks and stuff, but I think he makes news out there and he's a guy that, you know, for better or worse, you kind of have to follow, you know, he's out there chirping with Conor McGregor. He becomes part of the narrative. I just think he's a, um, becoming more an essential part of this community, whether you like it or not. But yeah, he's a guy that I think his social media has had an impact on the sport. So I think, you know, in terms of that perspective, of course, if you want to go to like a news angle, like you got to follow like the Ariel Hawani's, Brett Okamoto, stuff like that. Like those are essential people. But yeah, for social media accounts, I think, you know, Ali is my choice. And if you're going to go with a fighter, of course, you could like, look at Derek Lewis and stuff like that. But Ali is my choice and I'm ready for the pushback. Cody. Yeah. Well, actually it's a great selection actually. Cause not only is Ali, I thought we'd get some wide ranges here. Well, Ali gives out great nuggets like Mike's saying, but also he just fights with fans. Like, I don't know why he does it. I don't know where he finds time to do it, but it's actually one of the more entertaining accounts that's out there as well. It almost like borderline parody account at times, but no, he's being hundred percent serious. And I got to respect that. Yeah. Derek loses Instagram. It's always a front runner. Obviously he throws great stuff there. Daniel Cormier. Very witty Twitter account. Like, he's got a lot of good zingers. He's always calling out people. Him versus John Jones exchange is always good time. Colby Covington is what it is. I, I, I'm going to go with this one, even though it's not as much as the greatest follow as of late, as much as it's getting real sad, but... But Nick Diaz's Instagram account oh, man. is just bottoming out, John. His Oof. stories are just piling up. I see like th- like Oof. twenty videos here that he's gotten one story. It's uh, the one the other day was very weird. Uh, <laughs> That's all. I'm gonna go on record to say it right here, so you can date this. But and I don't. I hope it's not true. But Nick Diaz seems to me like he's going down the same trajectory as Mayhem Miller. Like, he was a great fighter. He fought in the glory days of MMA. He made his money. He parties a little bit now. And whereas, I think, Mayhem Miller, everyone's saying he's on drugs, which he probably was, but it's mental illness compounded with the fact that he had just had a life a career of fighting. Nick Diaz is starting to kind of show off some of those symptoms in some of his posts. They're saying that he's got a drinking problem. They're saying he's got a cocaine problem. The, all that stuff aside, it just seems like there's a mental problem there. It seems like a lot of his stuff is not making sense. He's ramming. He's stuck inside of his head in just like the same loop and so i i wish nothing but the best for him but i'm not as eager as everybody else to see him fight everybody wants to see nick diaz fight i think nick diaz probably needs to get nick diaz's life together first and fighting is probably the fourth or fifth or last thing that he needs to be focusing on right now so that's my two cents on it so your official pick is my official pick is going to be uh i'll take Derek lewis yeah Derek <laughs> lewis's instagram all right i'm i'm keeping a canadian here I'm going with Elias Theodoro. I think that this guy, in terms of a fighter that is a really entertaining follow, I think he's very funny. He is up on everything. Um, I, I just think he, he's a, he's a fighter that completely understands the medium at a, at a level that I, I think few others do in terms of, uh, the positive. Yeah, I had tweeted, uh, without tagging Elias Theodoro, I tweeted out that if I was in a bar fight, that I would like to have Eric Andrews, you know, have my back if I was in a bar fight. But if I was in a prison fight, that I would want Elias Theodoro to have my back. Because then the inmates would have no interest in me whatsoever. Yeah, I was just say, you could throw him <laughs> I, to I the wolves. Just, that I would just get away scot-free. They could, they could jump Elias. No interest in me whatsoever. And he goes in and retweets this and quote tweets this and gets the ball moving, like, pushes his tweet further than he needs to. And not tagged in it. I don't know if he just searches 
uses his own name into Definitely a Twitter, does. see what's going on, and then just adds to the stuff for fans. But uh, he's he's the most active guy on social media. I don't know if he's my favorite follow, a good follow, but uh, I'm just looking for people that understand the value and That's they true. maximize it. That's I like uh, Ally Quinta's real estate account. Yeah, you guys follow that one. That one's, that one's very good. Yeah, a little bit, but that there were some very good ones there this year that ones. he had. But yeah, it's it's tough to run like a gimmick account and have it not get old a little bit like that and get a little stale but yeah um, the fake yeah, Edmund Tverdian account was the same way it was like this is just gold but there's only so much you can I do I like how it just, it just pops up out of nowhere <laughs> and That's sometimes you're thinking like is this actually him because it's something he might actually say but yeah so it, it's a tough one like I don't think there's anyone that really like the Derek Lewis thing obviously is cool but it's like he's not giving you MMA content it's just like videos that you can follow 10,000 other meme accounts that are posting basically the same thing. I don't think there's anyone. That's why, you know, I went a little outside the box with Ali. There's no one that's like, you know, this guy's a must follow. Like, I think when John Jones tweets, he's like, you know, he makes good of the times he does tweet and they're significant and they stand out and people write stories around them and things like that. But yeah, there's no one that I'm like, Oh, you know, you got to get on Twitter just so you can follow this person. There's no one that really jumps out in mind is that right now. Yeah. Um, you know, he he was not able to join us today, but I am going to give a shout out to our friend Jordan Breen, who I like his Twitter because it's just he is not trying to promote anything. It's just like stream of consciousness thoughts. It's always like well written. You feel like you're reading. If like, you can understand half the words. He finally uses. written prose that he is putting there <laughs> on Twitter. So I'm going to mention our pal Jordan Breen. Now, most people, when they do their year-end awards, it's all positive. It's like, oh, the great stuff. You know what? There's a lot of garbage that we get every year from mixed martial arts. So we are going to have some negative categories here, starting off with most disappointing fighter. This is not worst fighter, but the fighter that most depressed you this year through a performance, through maybe uh, certain expectations that were not met, uh, different criteria depending on how you interpret this category. Cody, who is your most disappointing fighter of the year? A definitive choice. I know, I know. Cody is going to have to go with Cody Garbrandt. Very disappointed for Cody Garbrandt. I think this is a terrible year. Just the one fight, the loss to TJ Dillashaw, uh, a big fight for him coming into that rematch. Something that, I don't know, it's when I think about Cody Garbrandt, I think this is a young fighter, an exciting fighter that could get back on the horse and get back to the title mix. But I get the impression that Cody Garbrandt is a damaged fighter, that confidence is shook uh, mentally, maybe physically. There's some issues there too, and I just don't see him getting back to the level that he was at prior to winning that title over that with that big performance over Dominic Cruz. That's vintage Cody, and sadly enough, even though he is young, I feel like that's that's the vintage version of him. We're not going to get that anymore. I had other fighters in the category like a Rafael dos Anjos, you know, losing both of his fights. Volkan Uzdemir. This guy goes from from, you know, fighting for a, a title to losing Anthony Smith and I don't want to say an embarrassing fight, but a fight that uh, he, he certainly looked like he had the capabilities of winning until he faded out and uh, and maybe Conor McGregor because of the magnitude of his one loss. But ultimately, you know, you're losing to the best guys in the world. It is what it is. And Cody Garbrandt did lose to TJ Dillashaw, one of the best fighters in the world. But it was the way he lost, John. I didn't think he was competitive. I don't think he beats Cody Garbrandt, if, or he, he Cody Garbrandt beats TJ Dillashaw if they fight 10 times. Maybe the one time is a fluke punch, but I really showed that he was outclassed, and now I don't know where he sits in the division. So like you saying, it's not it's the— purgatory once you have those two losses. Well, that's the issue. We've seen this happen to a lot of fighters, which it's a, you know, a 
a Joseph Benavidez versus T or versus Demetrius Johnson. It's like once you lose to the best in the world and you're that number two guy, like what do you do? But Cody Garbrandt, he can't go up to 145 pounds. He'd be way too small. Let's be real. Can't go to 145. He can't go to 125 because even though that's probably the right weight class for him, it doesn't really exist anymore. So he's stuck at 135 as the number two guy in the world. And and what's he going to be forced into fights with the number two contenders? Is he going to fight uh, Jimmy Rivera? Is he going to fight John Lineker? Is he going to fight like? Are any of those good matchups for him right now? No, he needs like some feeler out fights. And this is a division that's absolutely crowded with guys that are hungry for uh, shots at the title. And and if you go all the way down to the top 15, I think Cody Garbrandt would be very tough in fights against nearly all of them. So I think it was a big disappointing year for him. And I think he was probably the, the disappointing fighter of 2018 for myself. Mike, who is your disappointing fighter of the year? I went with Darren Till. Um Obviously, coming into the year after beating Donald Cerrone in his first main event, that was huge for him. Uh, he gets that hometown fight in Liverpool against Stephen Thompson. Um, you can say what you want. There's the people who are like, oh, you know, it's technical, so it was an amazing fight, blah, blah, blah. There was so few moments of action in that fight over five rounds, and you came in with so many expectations. The fact that it had such an awesome crowd, too, like elevated a bit, but that was not the fight that we were hoping to see between Till and Wonderboy. And just a bit of a letdown. You could make an argument he shouldn't have even won that. He does. He gets the title shot, and he doesn't land a single strike in his championship fight against Tyron Woodley. He just gets absolutely blown out of the water. Uh, he comes into that fight, I believe, is the betting favorite, too, against Woodley by the time they got in the octagon and just had absolutely nothing to offer that. That was one of Tyron Woodley's finest performances. I mean, just a real staple on this is the best welterweight in the world. And uh, I I think, you know, if he has one other title defense this year, I I think he's, you know, Daniel Cormier had this locked up, but I think that Tyron Woodley is someone that. Yeah, if he, consistently got, if he got that November fight in with Covington, right. he would have been there. But yeah, it was just, you know, and then of this course, Darren, Darren Till misses weight too for yep. that fight against Wonderboy. So just so many elements to it. Uh, you know, he did make weight for the title fight. So good for him, but it was kind of off or not because he wasn't able to do a single thing in there. So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people coming into that year maybe said Darren Till is going to be the champion, especially when we got the title shot and it was just did not go his way. And who knows what the future holds for him. I like. That we all have different picks for this particular category. I give honorable mention to Henan Barrow. Losses to Brian Kelleher Ooh. and Andre Ewell this year. Um, just, you know, somebody. The disappointment with Henan Barrow started long ago. I, so that's I it. That's it. He's not my pick. Uh, this year, uh, hate to name him, but I'm sorry. It was the most sad performance. And again, one I spent watching with Mike Bond. Chuck Liddell is my most oh, disappointing gosh. fighter of the year. A fight I did not need to see, did not want to see, and afterwards regretted seeing. Um, just. You know, uh, people hold Chuck Liddell in very, very high esteem, a building block for the UFC and their explosion in 2005 onward. Uh, I would say the, the biggest component to that at that time period. So to see him come back and in the fashion of which he just had no business being in a cage that night uh, was my most disappointing fighter of the year. I was double disappointed, actually, John, because not only was I disappointed seeing Chuck Liddell whole saga, which is very, as you mentioned, disappointing, but... I was lied to from someone who I look up to. Antonio McKee told me Chuck Liddell was looking pretty good. Antonio McKee stated Chuck Liddell was like old Chuck. And what I saw, I saw old Chuck, but it I, wasn't I, the old Chuck I was I hoping to see. I old man Chuck. It was old man Chuck. I Geriatric The Chuck. pre-fight analysis, my favorite, was Eddie Bravo on Joe Rogan's show. And the quote that will live in infamy in my mind is him saying... Chuck's got that vein down the arm. He's looking good. <laughs> got those veins. What a thing to base it on. He's got that look in his eye. Yeah. Tito uh, had the look in his eye. Jesus. Well, maybe their names are going to come up again in our next category. Worst fight of the year. 
I know that some people, they are very sensitive to like a category like this. It is not the, the mark of death that you can say a fight was bad. Lots of bad fights happen. There's like this idea. Makes the good fight stand out. Absolutely. If everything is good, then, then nothing is great. Yeah. And you know what? There's plenty of bad fights. There's plenty of bad fights every year. And there was a worse fight of the year. Uh, Mike, get the ball rolling. Another one I was cage sad for. We brought him up earlier. Derek Lewis against Francis Ngannou. I mean, that was just horrible, especially because expectations versus reality type of thing. We were expecting that we were waiting for that fight. I feel like for a very long time, they were on collision course. They were on the same card together a few times. And like, this was a fight we were really excited to see. And then it was just a complete egg laid by both guys. It's like, you could probably pick out worse fights and like a Bellator or something like that. But what, again, it's kind of the theme throughout the show. when we're talking about awards. What are the stakes? What does it mean? This is a number one contender fight, basically. Uh, and for Derek Lewis, it kind of worked out because it got him, you know, the bulk off fight and the title shot and everything. But and Ganu, I mean, you, you look at where the hype was going into off. that Stipe yeah. fight and where he was after this. Yeah, like night and day. I mean, he did resurrect himself a bit with that recent and, win. And but if not for that, he'd be the disappointing fighter of the year. Would. You know, yeah. so yeah. he he the big win over Blades kind of put him back on. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Th- this was my my choice as well for for worst fight of the year cody yeah i feel like that one stands out uh mike talked about the darren till versus stephen thompson fight uh i would definitely have to throw cm punk versus mike jackson into that mix oh, yeah, just an absolutely terrible fight but you can't say anything was worse than tito ortiz versus chuck little three that was the worst fight of the year i don't think there's no argument there that was the worst fight that i've seen in many years so uh for that reason 100 percent, i'm putting that on all right worst card of the year uh cody we'll start with you yeah, well, this one, all I can really remember uh, was I'm going to go with Shogun versus Anthony Smith, USC Fight Night 134. Okay, are we unanimous? Yeah, right. Are we all unanimous on this? <laughs> I was like, I don't really know where to start, but the whole car was decision. July 22nd. It, it dragged on so long, and yeah. it was really bad. Ten, you know, I need to drop a couple stats here. So, yeah, 10 to 13. Uh, nine consecutive decisions, the longest streak of a card in UFC history, 10 decisions overall, tied with UFC Fight Night 121, 101, 84, 36 in UFC 169 for most decisions on a card in UFC history. Anthony Smith was like the only glimmer of hope on this no, card. No, no, no. See, I went the other way on that. I thought, okay, this card's been so bad, but at least I get Anthony Smith's Shogun here. Couple actions or a couple rounds of some action, and he just oozed him, or he uh, he OSP'd him. It just happened so fast. I was like, yeah. it was sad. It wasn't exciting, John. It was and I mean, sad. I, I make no quarrels about you know Shogun was one of the fighters who got me into the sport. My first quote unquote favorite fighter that like I you know was a huge fan of before you know becoming an bias media member or whatever and yeah so you go through that horrible drag the fs1 pacing nine consecutive decisions 10 overall it's just like so painful and then you know personally speaking you get to that main event moment and then he gets dusted in what 34 seconds or something the like worst, that so the worst way to cap off it was uh it was there, a there was fortunately a- fortunately that was the only glimmer of hope that it wasn't a night it was a daytime card yeah, yeah, so yeah, it yeah. Wasn't, yeah. Fight day. we didn't right. have to go through right. you know 1 a.m waiting for that so that was kind of the only redeeming quality that you didn't have to waste a night watching that it was just a daytime yeah it was it's something too because the last time they were in germany was a september 2016 card and didn't have 10 decisions was that but josh barnett versus andre Lofsky? yes and it had like another like marathon of decisions and not exciting ones like a decision doesn't mean a bad fight but no. it's uh you know when it's you can only deal with so many of them in a row, especially if you draw the unfortunate uh, job assignment of doing play-by-play for that night over at MMAJunkie.com. It's just uh, 
painful. That's you in wanna... the business, Mike Vaughn. It's funny how there's certain yeah. places like Germany, you know, you're getting decisions, and Australia, you know, you're getting finishes. Like it's just crazy, crazy how it happens. Yeah, they should be going to Finland. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't know if you're going to pose the Mike question. Like I don't know if you're going to pose the question at the end of the show. What are things we're looking forward to seeing in 2019? But I'll tell you mine right now. It's more daytime cards. Daytime cards are the best. Early star time cards are fantastic. Even move it up a couple hours, great. But uh, yeah, when they're in those different markets and they choose to do it in those regular times, like Sunday afternoons, pff, sign me up. Next up is favorite promotion of 2018. Mike. What was your favorite promotion? It doesn't have to be the 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 most fine. It doesn't have to be UFC if we're just going by business. It's just you know the promotion that you sit down to watch a card and it's the company you enjoy watching. I mean, it's so hard to say as like a media member too because I have to watch it all basically. That right. I'm kind of like forced to do it. So it's all to be like, oh, you know, Bellator's on tonight. Like I'm watching it regardless. It's my job right. to do it, so I'm getting paid to watch it. So it kind of takes the the element away. I guess I'll just go with UFC because it's like they still put on the biggest fights. Uh, you know. It's rare. I'm sure you guys know as fight fans, which you probably were before you got into this media side. Um, when there's a big fight, you kind of like get that feeling. You're like thinking about it, you know, all day. You wake up in the morning. You can't wait for it to be nighttime. Like watch it with your buddies, whatever. I can't say that like a PFL or a Bellator or, you know, Ryzen or anything put on a fight this year that was like, that got me that feeling. Whereas UFC put on multiple. I was really excited for, you know, Conor McGregor and Habib, John Jones returning. There was a lot of really big, meaningful fights that, that gave you that feeling. So if they can put that in me after doing this for so long and give me that emotion, I guess I got to give you, you know, the favorite promotion because you're doing what makes me excited as a person who follows combat sports. Cody. Yeah, I'm going to go way outside the box here, and I don't even know if it's a promotion or how would you even consider it. Dana KSW is a promotion. Gold <laughs> boy MMA. Yeah, no, uh, Dana White's Contender Series. Damn I, I love the Contender I Series. I chose man. that too, Did and I actually? knew I was kind of skirting my own topic here, but I... I don't know how to say it. There's only four or five yeah. fights on the card, but... I know this is all UFC, but I... That is just... a good choice, though. Like that series, Tuesday fights. Oh, sign me two up. hours. I love uh, like, it. The pacing. So the first season oh. was the summer of 2017, and that's when my son was born. And it was a, a summer that I, I didn't really follow the series that much. So this summer, I made a point. I sat down the first week. I love this show. I love the format. I love that you can sit down, and even if you're not familiar with these fighters, there's a story attached yeah, to yeah, each yeah. one. There's a hook to stay to the end to find out if anyone gets a contract. I think Laura Sanko is great on the show. I think Brendan Fitzgerald and Michael Bisping were a great team. You're grooming the Paul Felders. You're like grooming Felder the next was, stage. Was in there. Of, the the yep. announcement was great. I like the intimate environment. And it's in and out in two hours. It's and NXT, and it's worked extremely well, and I, I enjoy it. This was my favorite MMA-related programming yeah, yeah, uh, in 2018. Um, yeah, that's a very good choice. Yep. 100%. Breakout star of 2019. This is our category where we look ahead. Uh, this is our second-to-last category. Uh, many different ways we can go here. Mike, who is on your radar for 2019 to have a big year? This one was really hard for me because it's like, what are we defining as a star? You know, Is it going to be a guy that's going to... Just come out nowhere. Like I'd say, you know, Israel Adesanya was kind of that this year. He kind of came on the radar. He could maybe be it next year though. Cause if you're talking about going to yeah. the next level, um, I went with Amanda Nunes because I think it's weird to be like, Oh, a person who holds two UFC championships, like breakout star. But I think 
I tweeted it after the fight, like maybe this was her moment where she finally kind of transcended things and got what she should have got from beating Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, and all those big fights she's been in, but hasn't necessarily got the push. Hasn't become a draw. Yeah, hasn't become a draw. And that's kind of what my mind is, like the breakout star. Like who is someone that we're going to be that's totally. going to be able to carry a pay-per-view or, and get like good buys, not in the 100 to 200K range or whatever it may be. So uh, I think Amanda Nunes could be that person. I think you do that cyborg re- match uh maybe you do a holly home fight like there is some legitimate headliners there that i think could do above average of what 90 percent of your ufc champions are doing right now so uh, i think amanda nunez she is primed it's just all about how are we going to do this i hope she gets back in there relatively quick and is able to maybe fight two three times this year i hope the ufc gets behind her gives her the proper promotion everything but all the building blocks are there for her to be right there and be a person that can do legitimate business for the UFC. Yeah. I'd be very curious to see if her and Cyborg got their own pay-per-view, what that would draw because we saw Cyborg do numbers with Holly Holm and Mm -hmm. is someone, especially with now you have someone in Amanda Nunez that I think there'd be a lot of interest in the rematch, how that would perform. And in the same vein, I think Max Holloway could be right there. Like that performance, I think against Brian Ortega put him right on the cusp of that. And if he can stay healthy and get multiple fights in, especially if he goes up to like a lightweight and mm-hmm. fights, you know, one of the big names there or something, uh, you know, dreaming, but like a Conor McGregor rematch, all this stuff there is so much potential there. And it's weird that you're talking about people again that are UFC champions. They should kind of already be at that point, but. That's not the reality we live in. Cody, breakout star of 2019. Yeah, so I have kind of two different criterias on it. If you're looking at who's going to be the next star, as in who's going to actually go out there and sell the pay-per-views, who's going to be the next big draw, then, uh, yeah, I'm thinking Max Holloway. Max Holloway has got the fight style. He's got the personality. I think he's got the story. He's got all these things. But he's also, the marketing's there behind him. And I think he's doing the right thing in that when you look how the UFC has created these mega stars in the past, generally you got to get uh, an, enhi- an entire contingent of people behind it. So Conor McGregor, you know, he has Ireland behind me as an entire country he becomes this big star then everybody kind of jumps on george st pierre had canada george st pierre had all of canada behind him he was kind of their guy uh ronda rousey she was the first you know woman mixed martial artist uh because she was the u.s olympian people really jump behind her i feel like max holloway because he's this hawaiian guy he, he's got that market he's got the island market he's got all those people but he's also big in toronto he actually goes out to these other places like he he's building his reputation other places and his social media game is actually pretty on point uh i, I think everything he's doing is right and i think if they're looking for a guy they can give the torch to, they can say, hey, this guy's young. He was younger than Brian Ortega prior to, you know, that phenomenal performance. But this guy could, as long as there's no health issues, this guy could run with it for the next couple of years foreseeably and have big fights both at 145 and potentially at 155 down the road. But if we're looking at who's going to be that next person that might come out of nowhere and be- become another champion, who's that going to be that person that's going to that going to break through from regular fighter to, you know, actual nobody wants to fight them? I think Tatiana Suarez is in for a huge year. I think she crushes. I think she's already matching up fantastic against Rose Namajunas. I don't know if she's already, in my opinion, you know, she's breaking out right now. She had the two wins in 2018, uh, the big win over Carlos Sparza. But she looks flawless. I think she's got the style. I think this division has been lacking that probably since its inception. And I think she's in for a big year. But is she going to sell pay-per-views? No, no. That's years down the road if she can stay undefeated and keep the momentum going. But as far as who can make them money and be that, that big torchbearer, a Max Holloway. As far as who's that next future star potentially for me, 
I'm going to go with Tatiana. And yeah, just same thing on the Max Holloway point. If they can get a fight in Hawaii and, you know, look at what happened with Bellator and Alimalea McFarlane. The reaction was there. Like that was a... Who herself is like, you know, really upped her star power. Yeah, I, I had yeah, her number for sure. four for female fighter of the year. She's had a couple of big wins. She submitted both opponents, Valerie Letourneau, and she's a draw for Bellator, a legitimate draw. Yeah. And that's a promotion We're, that needs that. To find that, far between. To find that in a Hawaiian woman, that's huge. Holloway could... Can yes. bring some of those if you variables. can get him that moment and you put it on a pay-per-view that's, you know, obviously if they do go to Hawaii, it'll be a huge card for them and everything. And that moment could be, you know, again, one of those kind of transcendent moments that take someone to the next level. Against Nate Diaz, who returns to the scene. <laughs> Remember that ending with the Diaz brothers and yes. KJ Noons in yeah, Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. Give, little fingers like go KJ's up. dad. <laughs> oh, man. Back to Hawaii. That was great. There's that was your great. Opponent. If KJ's in the corner, too? A lightweight. Um, I went more so just kind of like breakout fighter I was looking at and Tatiana Suarez was my choice uh, some others that I think are interesting cases to watch in the new year Alexander Hernandez certainly Alexander Volkanovsky smelling the pheromones Alexander yeah, Hernandez what a quote yes uh, you know a guy that I'm very impressed with and uh, watching him on the Fox special back in January I believe it was I, I think that he's got an interesting personality is Gregor Gillespie the oh yeah 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 uh, hands yeah, he down fights, he hands fights down. next week right? he's, he's fighting yeah hands down so, he's a legitimate threat i think he's someone to really keep oh, your yeah. eye out on uh as well as someone uh, to, you know just people that i think we'll be talking about in 2019 well the, i i put aaron pico as my number two because aaron I think, pico I think yeah he could be a world I, champion by the end of the year i so. think everyone's what, what about anthony smith we, uh, you never know, right? I mean, you didn't know at the beginning of the year, so know. you never know what's going to happen. You can if he needs John Jones. Yeah, that's everything. Uh, you changes. Said, that's you, a tall order. If you said at the end of Literally. last year, who's going to be the breakout star of 2018? Somebody said Anthony Smith. You would have laughed it off. No way. But it's like that. That's what 12 months can do. If you stay active, even Thiago Santos, he's uh four and one this year. He actually lost the fight to Dave Branch. Just keep fighting and keep winning, and it erase all that from people's minds. Yep. Final category is biggest story of 2018. Mike Bond, we start with you. What was the I, biggest news story? I wonder if this will be unanimous. The UFC, obviously, uh, changing its rights deal, going to ESPN. It's got to be that. I feel like so much of the first... When did they actually sign this deal? Do you remember? This was back in May. May. So I feel like the months leading up to that, there was all kinds of speculation. The little things started leaking out here and there. There was, you know, maybe they're going to do... At one point, there was rumors of ESPN and Fox doing a split of the content yep. and things like that. And so... This coincided with the WWE working out their own rights deal, and they were like, absolutely attached here in, in terms of Fox going with the WWE. I mean, it was really fascinating to be watching it from both ends as they're both working out their domestic rights deals at the same time and yeah. both coming out with incredible deals yeah the wwe more than most anticipated yeah so it's like i said pretty much right off the top i feel like this was a transition year for the ufc and we had the first few months you know waiting for this deal to happen it becomes official and then there's just been so much build to it you know obviously they got ariel Hawani to come over there uh they've built their team and it seems like they have a really good foundation for what they're going to do they're bringing over a lot of the fighter talent from uh we've seen on fox programming and stuff so it seems like everything is just poised to be uh really huge with that deal um and obviously you know from the ufc side dana white they've wanted that espn uh cachet forever so i think that's a a really big deal for them and i think that was kind of the, the overarching story just because i felt like it was hard of course we had uh you know 
Khabib and Hunter fight, all these like big moments and stuff, but it just felt like it was all kind of like waiting for this to happen. Especially, you know, Fox didn't push the cards as hard as they want to and everything. We we're just, it all kind of revolved around this transition to 2019 with ESPN. So, um, I'm curious to see if we look back next year, is this going to be, you know, what ESPN did with the sport was the story of 2019? Who knows? Or maybe it'll be like they dropped the ball. Maybe that'll be the biggest disappointment. Who knows? I think but, regardless, I, 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 it's my choice for story of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be the story of year for 2019. There's so yeah. many questions. The, the coverage that ESPN provides, the amount of exposure they get on things like Sports Center. You also have the ability now to buy the pay-per-views through ESPN Plus. So there's, a, there's a, well, in the U.S., <laughs> but it incentivizes ESPN to push these pay-per-views hard. There's a financial interest in it for mm-hmm. them as well. And as well, ESPN Plus, as one of the main platforms is that going to be limiting when it comes to creating stars we've seen that alima lay mcfarland has this phenomenal performance in hawaii but how many people are watching on the zone it's this incredible money but you're limiting your exposure is espn plus going to be a big enough platform when that's they will be on mania espn but it's primarily a lot of cards on espn plus yeah well and it's kind of like setting it up like the broadcast plan for this card coming up in brooklyn is very unique right like there's the early prelims i think four fights or something on espn plus then they go to big espn for four prelims and And then then the the main card card is on espn plus and i think that we're going to be seeing a lot of that um we'll probably see those televised ones i doubt they're all going to be on proper espn it'll be like espn2 or fairly easy in canada we have fight pass and tsn now yeah so it's it's pretty nice for us but yeah how is uh it going to affect everything with just People yeah. exposure. How many people are going to sign up for this? How many people are? Well, that's gonna what I want to know. I mean, it's, it's easy for us. We have the two channels, but I think yeah, for sure. I mean, there's it, with MMA, it never seems to stay in one. I mean, the Fox deal, yeah, it's seven years, but it never really seems to stay in the same place for long enough. You build, you know, the, your your network on Spike, and you go from Spike over to Fox, and you go from Fox to ESPN. There's a lot of jumping around. The hardcores will follow the sport no matter where it goes. If it was exclusively on Fight Pass or DAZN, or it wouldn't matter. The hardcores are going to follow, it. but you got to have those casuals follow it, and so that would be uh, interesting. I I think that's the most important story of the year because there's huge ramifications for the sport as a total but if the question was posed as what's the biggest story of the year uh it would have to be conor mcgregor throwing a dolly through a bus window i mean this is the biggest sports star um the ufc needs him the sport really realistically kind of needs him and he throws a dolly through a bus window (laughs) i thought that was the lowest point of the year no doubt, but I think when you say what's the biggest story, mm-hmm. what was on the news outlets everywhere? Well, what was something that was picked up by by universally everybody? What got the clicks? And that was as much of a was a black guy. That was it, you know. The guy he and was also promoted and and used to build a gigantic pay per view. I mean, of they course, they ran towards is, it. But I mean, to put big. it in the way that you just said, who wrote about it and everything? Um, I've done two MMA stories for Rolling Stone in 2018, and they were both. The Dolly incident related, the yeah. day it happened, and then when he had his sentencing and all that stuff. So that just goes to show. And yeah. Obviously, you know, uh, Rolling Stones, Trent, they've made it very clear they're kind of pulling back on combat sports, pro wrestling, all that kind of stuff, which they were very heavy in in like 2016, 2017. But yeah, that just goes to show when they're hitting you up being like, we want a story about this, you know it's something far bigger than... Uh, some average, piece of yeah. MMA news. So, yeah, I, I can't disagree with that either. In terms of what got, you know, for better or worse, the most exposure to the sport and the sport's biggest star, it was beyond, sadly that. Beyond moment. Conor McGregor, when when you see statistics at MMA Junkie, like who are the biggest kind of 
newsmakers that are going to provide the biggest amount of traffic typically um, probably you know your john jones is uh you know, cyborg could be pretty good for us there's uh, dana white will always be the, the biggest star in the sport and that's you know context uh kind of just depends if things go up and down uh colby covington had an interesting year just because mm-hmm. you know he went with the more ridiculous edge to it um max holloway does good numbers too daniel cormier how does yeah, how does Khabib's numbers from Russia yeah, K- translate? Khabib is good is he, as does well. Does he have a lot of traffic? Yeah, Khabib's stuff does well, especially because pretty much the entire year you're tying him in with Conor McGregor, so maybe yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah, more difficult yeah, to enough, you know enough. judge exactly. But dude, that that whole week with UFC 223, everything that happened, Max Holloway stepping in, him getting pulled out, like all that was just insane. You know, off the yeah, charts. It wasn't as if it was the one thing. It was everything. It was board pulling out and Kiesa's out now. And now we're scrambling for replacements and Felder already weighed in. Like it was, it was a, the most chaotic event of the year. It was chaotic. And I think it just leads to everything that it was. It was, it was, it was a big story. It was a big event. Yeah. All right. Well, that was 2018. Everyone. I want to thank Mike Bond and Cody Saftik for joining us. Uh, Cody, where can the fine people listening uh, check you out? Twitter, whatever you'd like to promote. Yeah, well, obviously, we have a preview and breakdown of uh, every MMA event, or UFC anyways. PFL just getting to DraftKings, so that's a super exciting time because now they're going to start releasing DraftKings pricing. So obviously, you can catch any of that stuff over at uh, the Pat Mayo Network, um, you know, Dogger Pass Podcast, me and Paul Shaughnessy. And of course, check me out on Twitter at CJ Saftik. If you have any questions, inquiries, or want to know where you can find the show. So uh, thanks for having me on, John. Very much appreciated. And Mike, the the world needs to know. Where can they get more Mike Bond? (laughs) Uh, Mike Bond MMA on Twitter, Instagram, email at gmail.com. All that stuff. I like it. Not not many people give out their email. Yeah, uh, it's on my Twitter bio. So I don't really mind. Yeah, it's, when it's all the same thing, it's just like it's my phone number. If, if you, you want, want to send, chat, yeah, yeah, exactly. Location it's, uh, via iPhone. Yeah. Everyone's going to be contacting him now. Why was I not the best social media account of the year? Yeah, Mike if you Bond. want to send me all your Ali Abdelaziz hate, it's at Mike Bonham. Well, if we're talking who I hope is not the disappointing fighter of 2019, if Ali ruins Khabib, I'm going to be pissed. Just make the Tony fight. Stop chasing these big paydays. You don't well, if I don't see, see Tony. If I don't see Khabib versus Tony in 2019. Last last question. Oh. What What's the fight you want to see the most in 2019? Just... Uh... I think that it's the most competitive fight I think they can put together. Here, here's here's legitimately two guys at the top. Uh, they have contradicting styles. They're at the top of their game, and you'd like to see that. What I think was so intriguing about Holloway and Ortega was it was realistically two guys in the prime of their careers, the one and two guy in the world that are fighting, and you don't get that all that very often. You, you know, a Nunez versus Cyborg is a super fight, and it's the one and two, but it's kind of the one and two, nothing far in between. If we're looking for just the most competitive fight that you can put together right now, I'd like to see Tony Ferguson versus Khabib. Mike? Mine is Daniel Cormier versus John Jones at heavyweight. Me too. That's got to be the one. Um, I'd love to see that Habib and Max Holloway fight at lightweight with full camps and everything. I think I was so excited for that, even on short notice. But yeah, that is the one that just stands out. Who knows what's going to happen with Daniel Cormier? I mean, we have, it's weird enough when they booked that March card saying, you know, this is going to be Daniel Cormier's retirement card. It's three weeks before his birthday. And then John Jones ends up headlining against Anthony Smith. Like, that's just so MMA. But yeah, I, this is probably going to be Daniel Cormier's last year of fighting. And I sincerely hope we get to see that fight at heavyweight. Uh, UFC is going to have to throw a ton of money out there at John Jones to make it happen, though. Yeah. I just don't see Dan- John Jones, like, 
the move to heavyweight just to me is inevitable. It's just a question of time, and I hope it happens in time so that that fight can it's, happen. It's weird, Daniel though, because every time John Jones gets asked about heavyweight, he gives a different answer. Like, he's, every single time. Trained, it's like yeah. he's on the post-fight yeah. show on FS1. He gives an answer. He comes to the press conference. It's a different answer. It's like, okay, dude, like, make up your mind. I do think it's inevitable, but um, I think he's down to fight Cormier there. I just don't think he probably wants to do all the other fights. But we'll see. Hopefully, that's More than anything story. else, for a guy that gets pay-per-view points... Like there's a, there's a stark difference between all the options you have at heavyweight and looking at the Anthony Smiths and Vulcan Ozdemir's of the world at 205 pounds. I mean, and it's just a financial decision as much as anything. And that'll be a huge story to watch in 2019 too. Is just John Jones. Can he, if he can yep. stick with this plan of fighting three times this year, whether it's, you know, against the Anthony Smiths and Corey Anderson's of the world, or just if he goes for the big fights against, you know, Cormier or Stipe or whatever at heavyweight, um, can he compete often? Can he pass all his drug tests, all those kind of things? That's a huge story, and it's going to contribute to how big of a year the UFC has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Anthony Smith's on a three-fight winning streak, and he's the guy. Like, who else are you going to throw in there with him? But people want to see it, whereas Ferguson's on a seven-fight winning streak, and it doesn't really seem to matter. There's no rhyme or reason when you're going to get a title shot, when you're going to get the opportunity. But, yeah, with John Jones, it's like he's got lost time to make up with. So do I care that he's going to fight? Uh, a couple tune-up outs? No, I don't. I like Corey Anderson a lot. I hope it's just not a tune-up out situation. Hopefully you give this guy a couple, you know, maybe two, three, four more fights to develop, and then he's a legitimate threat to the throne. But um, it's it's tough. It's tough when you have to sell fights. You have one big star, and you have other guys that are just not quite on the same level. I didn't think Gustafson coming off this long layoff would be competitive with John Jones. Now, he's got the name. He's got the star power. He's the only guy that makes sense if you're trying to sell a fight. So that's the fight you go with. But when you watch the fight, he wasn't at that level. And that, you're going to see that with John Jones. If he's you know, clean, and he's not out partying, and he's focused, and he's doing the things he needs to do. He's the greatest mixed martial artist we've ever seen. So when he's fighting the number five and ten ranked guys in the world, he should be able to uh, showcase that. But this is MMA, and boxing does it all the time, and no one seems to give them too much grief. So maybe that'll start happening a little bit more. I think this thing with Ali negotiating that we're not going to fight the number one contender, we're going to fight the guy that's going to make the most sense. Well, that's what they do in boxing. And maybe that's something for 2019 or a future trend is that it'll probably start going into that direction. John Jones, as Mike said, he'll go out there and he'll say, oh, Daniel, keep that heavyweight title ready for me. I'm coming up. He'll make all the, uh, you know, he'll heavily imply that he's going up to heavyweight. And then the next day he'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going up to heavyweight because maybe it's part of a negotiation tactic. Don't just give them what they want. Make them work for it. Make them give them that boatload of money in order to make this happen because, all parties got to be satisfied, you know, in a big deal like that. So, I, I, I don't know. It's uh, I don't. I hope the whole money fight thing doesn't continue. But the fact that Covington's not getting the next shot is a uh, is a strong suggestion that 2019 starting off in the same foot that 2018 kind of ended on. Well, and that's what we're going to end things on. You can now officially start 2019 because we have given our year in review on 2018. Maybe this is something we can make an annual tradition. This was a blast doing it with both of you guys. Thank you so much for coming here to Post Office West. And that is it. You can go to postwrestling.com for all your news. Once again, thank you to Mike Bond, Cody Safdick. I'm John Pollock, and thanks for listening.